right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Black Agenda Podcast Live. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, as always with my co-host, Adrian Guess, and we are happy to bring you our last weekly roundup of season two. This is going to be weekly roundup number 17. Uh, we've been, you know, 17 weekly roundups. We've enjoyed bringing you all the news every Saturday, whether it's at 7.30 or 1 o'clock. Um, we'll just be happy to be able to give you our opinions about what's happening in the world. And so, again, this is our season finale here, our last one of the season. Um, and so we're going to get right into it. A lot of news happened this week, Adrian, as always. Um, some interesting news. And so we want to kind of start with, uh, you know, the great, I guess you could call it gas shortage happened this week, uh, which I guess you could say was kind of man-made because even though um, there was some things happening with, um, you know, a gas pipeline, um, there seemed to be more of a man-made crisis <laughs> and a mania that just kind of um, perpetrated across social media. But um, there was somewhat of a gas shortage this week. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, the Colonial Pipeline uh, shut down after uh, which was shut down after a ransomware attack last week, has resumed deliveries to all of its markets. Um, and this will likely relieve the concerns of a gas shortage along the north, the, the east coast. And so um, the fears of a gas shortage prompted hoarding and panic buying, people running to the gas station, filling up uh, baskets. You know, I, there were pictures of bags. Those pictures were from uh, years past. They were not from this time. But we did see people running to the gas stations, filling up all sorts of containers um, trying to hoard gas. And um, this just made the problem worse. And even some state um, and federal officials um, warned against, you know, going in and hoarding gas. But what ex- what actually happened this week, Adrian, was, you know, the Colonial Pipeline was hit with a ransomware attack. And so Bloomberg, Bloomberg has reported um, the hackers actually began their attack last Thursday by stealing about 100 gigabytes of data in a double extortion scheme that holds the data hostage and then on top of that threatens to leak it. So the company shut down some of its operations to prevent the uh, malicious software from spreading further into its computer systems. And so on Thursday, Bloomberg also reported that Colonial paid nearly $5 million in the the ransom for their software um, so that they could decrypt their computers. And so uh, this contradicted contradicted an earlier story by the Washington Post um, that the company Colonial Pipeline was restoring its data from backups and didn't plan to pay the hackers. It looks like they actually did end up having to uh, pay the hackers. And so the major pipeline had been closed since last Friday when a ransomware infection was found on the you know on the computer systems and the shutdown affected the supply of gas in parts of the East Coast with some people waiting an hour or more at filling stations or not finding any gas at all. And so um, at least as of right now, Colonial Pipeline is saying that they've restarted their entire pipeline system and that product delivery has uh, restarted in, in most of their markets. And so, um, the, like I say, you know, Adrian, this was a, a, a ransomware attack that did shut down. Um, you know, Colonial Pipeline did have to shut down this this major pipeline that did supply gas to a lot of the East Coast. But... <laughs> You know, it like I say, it was kind of a man-made gas shortage because if people didn't run to the gas station trying to panic buy and, and fill up all these crazy containers and things, then we probably wouldn't have had a gas shortage. But, you know, it's just kind of similar to what happened last year with toilet paper and, and hand sanitizer disappearing off the shelves. And, 
you know, mm-hmm. it creates the shortage. You know what I'm saying? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. People said it was a gas shortage and they went to the gas station and perpetrated the gas shortage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's very interesting, Devin, to, to see how that happened um, to where, you know, it's definitely terrible to have, you know, some, some hacking that really shut down a, a major pipeline. It just goes to show us which I think uh, President Biden said that the U.S. is going to, you know, uh, up its game in cyber attack security. But um, this definitely shows why we need to do that, because somebody could hack into systems and make us lose our minds. That's essentially what happened. You know, we, you know, people kind of got, you know, lost their minds and thought that we were going through another crisis. But, you know, it's all good. You know, you know, they got the, the gas flowing. Um, it, I, I definitely hope that you know people just calm down, and in the future when things like this happen, because I mean, like you said, we saw this um, during um, you know the, the, the height of the pandemic with hand sanitizer, gloves, Lysol, Clorox wipes, and all that. Um, you know, <laughs> you don't have to go to the grocery store and buy up all the food and stuff like that. It's just interesting to see how we react to those situations and not. I guess think about how they're gonna impact the community because had people just, you know, normal, just you know, said, hey, you know, gas is gonna be a little slow for the next week or two. Just do your normal stuff. Don't try to go fill up all crazy. Uh, Would have been in a different situation for sure, Devin. Oh, absolutely. I think it's you know, it goes back to the attitude. Um, you know, with some folks, again, social media did play a part in this. I did see all kind of people saying, go get your gas, go get your gas. Um, you know, honestly, it just says the country as a whole, I just feel like the attitude, we are not ready for a real true crisis to come about. Um, you know, cause we always preach working together and helping your neighbors, but the moment there's even, you know, a, a, a small crisis, people go into this, you know, survival mode and forget trying to help others. It's me, me, me. So I got to go and hoard supplies, hoard toilet paper, hoard gasoline. Um, And so it is kind of worrying to me to see that this is the attitude that a lot of people have. Um, And it just, you know, also shows that, you know, so, so many people are, it's, it's kind of scary that so many people are quick to just panic and, and just, you know, without really processing what's happening first, and understanding the necessary action. You know, if people had really read the story of what happened with the colonial pipeline, you would have understood there was really no need to be running around panic buying gasoline. Like, like you say, you could have just went on about your normal day. You would have been perfectly fine. Um, but it just, you know, that attitude of I, you know, me, 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 I know I got to take care of hours is, is cool, but think about everybody else. And and don't be so selfish running to the gas station when you really don't. You may not need it. You don't need to be bringing giant containers, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, filling it up with gas. Product of the, uh, the that's just a product of the America first thinking. You know, always got to exactly you, know, you, you and your household first instead of just thinking about the community. But mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's what's uh, you know to, to kind of take us into our second topic, Devin. Uh, maybe that's what's going in, uh, going on in Mississippi. Um, looks like you got people who are really thinking more about themselves and thinking about the constituents and how they can really benefit the residents. But um, you know, listeners, we, we wanted to do a, a little something about Mississippi. You know, obviously, we're from there, but 
Um, we, we know that there's a lot going on in our home state, but there's a lot going on in all people's home states and local people's government. And it just really shows you why we have to be more engaged in the process, you know, whether it be in elections, whether it be in meetings and stuff like that, because stuff like, you know, it matters whenever you be engaged. Um, so to kind of start off this little, you know, topic two here, one of the things we saw coming out of Mississippi was with the Supreme Court, Mississippi Supreme Court, where they were dealing with ballot initiatives. So basically, listeners, in Mississippi, whenever there's going to be a ballot initiative, residents have to get signatures to make sure that that ballot initiative can get put on uh, the ballot and people vote on it. Well, Mississippi's Constitution says that you've got to get signatures from five congressional districts. However, in 2000, Mississippi changed from five to four congressional districts. So because of a technicality, Theoretically, you really can't do any ballot initiatives because you can't get the needed signatures from the five congressional districts. And essentially, that was the argument of the Supreme Court, was that, you know, we're not here to um, re-adjudicate the law. We're not here to change the law or set a precedent. We're just here to interpret the law. And the law clearly says you've got to have signatures from five congressional districts, so by that you can't do it. And that put the whole medical marijuana on pause. There's a bunch of other ballot initiatives that have been put on pause, but that just goes to show you how how petty things can be, Devin, because, you know, it's so interesting that the state has had six failed attempts to revise the Constitution to actually fit what's going on, so that it is four rather than five congressional districts. But that, like I said, that's six failed attempts. That's, that's really remarkable to think about. And whenever we think about other things happening within the state, I mean, you've got the governor who has said that uh, we're going to stop accepting the federal unemployment benefits. Um, he's basically saying that the unemployment benefits are a way uh, that people are staying at home. Down pay their bills, uh, they were able to think. So I think it's really important when people say that, well, we don't need this just because, you know, there's jobs out on the market. I think that there's a lot of underlying reasons, Devin, to why, you know, people aren't going and getting jobs. Um, that That's one of the things that you have to really, really uh, realize is that, you know, when we're coming out of this pandemic, you look at the fact that Mississippi only has like a 26% uh, fully vaccination rate. You know, whenever Governor Reed says that people aren't going back to work because they're sitting at home getting checks, could it be, Devin, that a lot of people aren't going back to work because they don't want to get sick, they don't want to die? Um, because, I mean, if you've only got 26% of the population fully vaccinated, um, you, you really can't say to your residents, hey, it's safe for you to go mask, uh, maskless, it's safe for you to go gather in crowds. You can't really do that uh, whenever you've got such low vaccination rates. So I don't know, Devin. Um, Mississippi's not the only one that's doing this. Montana, South Carolina, Alabama, Tennessee, they're also declining uh, further unemployment benefits. But, you know, you know, like I said, messed up Mississippi. It's, it's a lot going on down there in a state that already needs some healing, but you just got so many local and state leaders who just don't see the picture, it seems, Devin. 
Um, just don't see the picture as <laughs> putting it very nicely. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think a lot of this reaction, um, okay, I, I, I'll say first off, at least with the medical marijuana thing, um, like you say, I mean, like the, the ballot process, a ballot initiative process in Mississippi is essentially dead until they update the, you know, the state uh, legislation to show that Mississippi has four districts and not five. I mean, like, what a crazy technicality to just <laughs> void out, you know, millions of votes from people who live in the state. I mean, like, you could go back. How many years could you go back and just say, oh, we're going to, you know, get rid of this initiative and this initiative because of this one technicality? And like you say, there were already more initiatives on the horizon, you know, one for expanding Medicaid in Mississippi. That was probably going to be. Um, people are already, you know, getting around that, trying to put that on the ballot for 2022. So you had other things coming down the pipeline. And I think, you know, essentially those are dead in the water at, at this point. There's, that's not going to happen. And they just blunted the will of the people. Um, you know, the folks who sit on this Mississippi Supreme Court just said, yeah, you know, we're just going to take those votes and throw them away on a technicality. <laughs> like, not that we could keep the initiative because it did go, it did pass and say, well, going forward, update the Constitution and everything else stays in place. We're just going to void out this entire initiative in the votes. It was just seems ridiculous. And like, and this is why people don't vote. You know, they already feel like their votes don't matter. And then you get things like this where the vote of the people is needed to decide, you know, med- whether medical marijuana is going to be allowed in the state. And the people said, yes, they want it. The majority of the people said they want it, and the courts say, actually, no, you don't get to make that choice. We'll do it for you. <laughs> and they said no. Um, and then, you know, it's, and then also the unemployment thing is just a, a knee jerk reaction, and it's very easy to just say, yeah, folks are just sitting at home, you know, enjoying their extra $300 in unemployment. I mean, if you're in Mississippi, that's not a lot of money because basic unemployment in Mississippi is you might as well be next to living outside in the street it's not that much (laughs) so an extra 300 it's not like people live in high yeah adrian you know i don't understand um you know how they they preach you know ballot integrity and and think you know the republican party does and so um the 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 idea that's you know, I don't know. How, I don't know how many people sit on the Mississippi Supreme Court, but the fact that they just voided out millions of votes and that were in favor of medical marijuana um, just gives more credence and reason why people don't vote. They already believe that their voices don't matter because of big money in politics. And then here you are. You got, you know, maybe nine people um, who sit on the bench and say, hey, you know what? Because of a technicality, because our politicians didn't do what they were supposed to do <laughs> and update the legislation. Uh, in 2000, when Mississippi went from five to four districts, um, now the, you know, ballot initiative process in Mississippi is essentially dead. Um, you know, we were talking about possibly um, an, an initiative to be expanding Medicaid was coming. So there were some things that were happening where the will of the voters was going to be, you know, allowed. They were going to be allowed to make their choice. And that's been taken away because of a freaking technicality, which is outrageous. And it just shows a a state that, you know, doesn't really seem interested in being involved in the 21st century economy. Um, 
workforce doesn't seem interested in attracting young, um, talented individuals and workers. They just seem stuck in this perpetual state of trying to get back to the 19, um, you know, pre 1960s <laughs> and making sure that black people stay in their place and, and do not have any kind of economic or political power. And um, the powers that be in the state have, you know, they've always had their way. You see the Madison mayor filed a lawsuit um, to get this, you know, to the Supreme court to say that, Nope, we're not going to do it on a tech, on a technicality. So it's just pathetic and typical of what you expect of a state like Mississippi um, that has a very rigid uh, power structure where it is hard, as you can see, to get anything done and try to progress in this state. Um, and secondly, too, with just the unemployment benefits, you know, I know we <laughs> people feel like the votes already don't matter, but understand the governor of your state has a lot more power over your life than the president. You see Tate Reeves can just decide one day, hey, we're going to opt out of the unemployed, the additional unemployment assistance, you know, from the from Congress. And we're going to take that three hundred dollars away from you because they feel like people are just living high on the hog somehow or being lazy. No, people are making a choice for the first time in a lot of their lives. They don't have to struggle away making nine to ten dollars without seeing their kids, without having health insurance, without having time off. And they're taking advantage of it. It's about time for employers to start trying to compete for workers and treat them, you know, decently, giving them PTO, paid time off and, and leave and, and stuff and, and things like that. Things that workers have been asking for for a long time. So I don't you know, I think it's it's easy to just say, oh, yeah, it's the unemployment assistance that's keeping people at home. I think they're going to be surprised, Adrian. They're going to take this unemployment assistance away. I still think you're going to see a large amount of folks not really be running back to fill some of these positions. It's going to take some time. No doubt, Devin. It's definitely going to do that just because people for more than a year were, you know, used to not being around people. Uh, for more than a year, we told everybody to stay six feet apart, wear masks, don't be in large crowds. So employers um, should almost anticipate they're going to have to beef up their incentives to get people to go against what we've been saying for the past year or so. But we're going to get there, listeners, and that's what we're here for, to talk to you about it and help us all get there. So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to get ready to take our first break here. But as always, before our break, let's give you a quick little bit of news. Uh, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick uh, may not be in the NFL anymore, but he's still doing some big things in activism and social justice. He's going to be releasing a book of essays advocating the abolition of police and prisons. This is per TMZ. The book entitled Abolition for the People, the Movement for a Future Without Policing and Prisons is set to release on October 12th with over 30 essays. Kaepernick is credited as the book's editor but will also author one of the essays himself. So really interesting stuff, Devin, to see that. Um, I, I can't imagine a world totally without policing, but, hey, maybe there's a lot of uh, competent people that are going to be writing these essays who can make a compelling case. So listeners, we'll give you your first break. Be on the lookout for that book in October, and we'll be right back. absolutely appreciate your support. 
You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment here. Uh, topic one, we wanted to give you a little bit of updates from President Biden. Uh, Devin, you know, President Biden is always busy doing stuff. Uh, it's been nice seeing a president who's actually trying to uh, bridge the gap uh, between different uh, sectors of our population. That's that's what Biden said he was going to do, you know, build back better, heal the soul of America. And, and he's trying to really do that. So a couple of things that uh, President Biden is doing, listeners, uh, he did meet with DACA recipients on, uh, on yesterday, uh, met with six of them to talk about the, the pathway forward. Uh, President Biden was a little disappointed about their success with immigration in the first 100 days, but he does plan on supporting a lot of legislation that's passed the House to really enshrine the DACA program and the law and a separate bill intended to help migrant farm workers obtain lawful status and better working conditions. So really trying to help to heal the tension that we had during President or former President Trump's administration uh, and his whole deal with uh, immigration. Another thing, Devin, that uh, Biden is working on is his infrastructure plan. Uh, with as much money as he's talking about spending out of part one and part two, you know, four trillion, he's got to do a lot of kissing, you know, hands and kissing babies or whatever else you want to say. He's got to do a lot of work with the GOP. But he's been meeting with GOP uh, leaders, Devin, uh, at the White House. They met for more than 90 minutes on Thursday. Uh, the GOP senators came out encouraged about their discussions with the president. And they were even prepared to build on their $568 billion proposal because, you know, they came out with a counter that was not even uh, nearly you know, half as much as President Biden's. But they're optimistic. President Biden is optimistic. And I think that they're going to be able to get something done with this infrastructure plan. And lastly, Devin, uh, President Biden actually called his first meeting with the big four. And listeners, just so you know, the big four is made up of, you know, the two controlling uh, in the House and two in the Senate. So you got uh, House Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Minority Leader uh, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin McCarthy and Senate Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell. All of them met with uh, Vice President Harris and President Biden to kind of discuss things. Of course, McConnell and McCarthy came out of the meeting with doubts, uh, trying to really not support the president's agenda. So, Devin, like I said, President Biden is busy. He's doing a lot of great things. He's working. He's trying to show people that this is an administration that's going to meet the moment and get stuff done. Uh, I don't know, um, Devin, how much he's going to get done. So I feel like the Republicans are going to try to treat him like an Obama uh, and really just try to stonewall everything he does. And it's unfortunate that there's such a, uh, that, that, that there's a 50-50 split in the Senate because it just makes it to where um, all of his agenda moves are so fragile uh, from the beginning because, you you know, there's no room for error, Devin. I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. I just, it's It's nice to have a president. We don't necessarily have to, worry about watching all the time because he's going to go off and do something insane. Um, but I do, I do think the Republicans are going to have a hard time, 
you know, trying to take that same hard line of like, we're not going to work with the, you know, this Democratic administration, um, at least to me, I feel like that's a losing battle because the country does have big problems that um, we need to fix. You know, one is immigration, the other is infrastructure. And and those are huge problems that we have continually keep kicking down the road. And I think we're at a point now where people are like, listen, we need a solution. We need people in Congress who are actually going to govern. And it is not, you know, the time to be like, oh, we're going to work to just make sure that this administration doesn't do anything. I think that's the wrong idea. You know, you see people in the Republican Party like the Marjorie um, Taylor Greens, um, who 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 are there just there for antics and hysterics. They're not there to govern. You know, John Boehner said that too when talking about the Congress that came in during the Tea Party rise. Was that a lot of those folks were not there to govern? They were just there to promote themselves, be on Fox News, you know, do the media route. Um, but they're not there to get the work of the country actually done. And I think that's a, something that people are probably tired of now, both Democrats and Republicans. We've understood that neither party has really taken on um, the big challenges. You could at least say the Democrats tried to tackle health care. But, you know, Republicans, the only thing they've not done in the last 20 years is cut taxes, which has put us in a gigantic hole budget wise. But they haven't fixed any of the major issues. Um, that the country has. And it's not, you can't just sit there and say, we're just a party of no. <laughs> At some point, you got to govern. You got to do some work. You got to have something to show people and say, look, this is what we're doing. Um, and I think they're going to have a hard time with that with Joe Biden because he's trying to shoot for this infrastructure thing. Um, you know, they're trying to tackle immigration uh, with the DACA program. Um, and so they, he's trying to do it. He's, he's extending some olive branches so hopefully there is some common ground there that they say, okay, it's time for us to, to stop the bickering. We actually need to do some work that you're paid to do. <laughs> hopefully. So, hope, hopefully. We'll, we'll see. You know, the midterms are around the corner, so the incentive is not necessarily to, to be, um, you know, oh, be, to be seen working with the Biden administration because they do have midterms coming up. So we'll see. But, of course, we'll always keep you updated. Uh, if there are any big changes on Capitol Hill as far as bills passed. But there was some big news that came out from Washington, D.C., and in particular, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So the CDC came out this week and said that now they have enough information, (laughs) supposedly to tell people that now if you are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, meaning you got either the one-shot Johnson & Johnson or you got two doses of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines, then now you can forego your mask and social distancing in many indoor situations. And so CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said Thursday that anyone who is fully fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. She also went on to say, if you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things you had stopped doing uh, because of the pandemic. And so uh, if you didn't know, me and Adrian are both fully vaccinated. So this is good news for us. We can go back to normal. Um, And so Dr. Walensky also said that fully vaccinated people who are entering spaces where they don't know the vaccination status of others, like at concerts, don't need to worry and can still be there maskless. And this is a big leap from their previous guidance 
And this comes shortly after they said that fully vaccinated people do not need to wear masks outdoors. And so um, it's interesting, Adrian, before we go on to the next point, I just wanted to talk about that change there because they did maybe not even two weeks ago, almost say you could just, you know, you didn't have to wear a mask outside if you were vaccinated. And now here we are two weeks later and they're claiming to have more information to say that now you can, you don't have to wear a mask indoors. It's so, you know, some people see it as they're, they don't really know. (laughs) And so they're just kind of responding to people who are a little frustrated with the fact that, you know, people are, they're trying to get people to take the vaccine, but they were still kind of saying you needed to wear a mask in certain situations. So, you know, people were getting frustrated with it just not really being clear whether you needed to be masked and physically distanced or not if you were vaccinated. And you would think, Devin, that with everything, you know, being a low risk, uh, there wouldn't necessarily be the need for wearing a mask, you know, indoors, outdoors, small gatherings, large gatherings. Uh, but it's just the fact that you don't know uh, who's been vaccinated. You know, we're we're all, we're almost on this honor system, and, and and that's why you know we talked about it, and others have talked about the issue of like, you know, uh, mandating the vaccine so that way everybody knows when I walk into a place, I can walk into a mask because I know everybody's going to be vaccinated. Um, because when you do, what's going to happen is if you have a bunch of people who don't get uh, vaccinated. Um, you could still have them getting sick. You could still have, you know, the virus mutating and having these other variants. So I'm, I just I just really hope that, you know, that people just just go get vaccinated. I mean, it's uh, it's it's easy. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, Devin and I, like, he, like Devin said, he and I, we've both done it. Um, we're still alive. Um, nothing bad happened. Just a little arm soreness. Uh, but people just need to go get vaccinated because that, that's the only way we're going to get out of this nightmare. That's the only way this is going to, uh, you know, we're going to be able to heal as a nation when we all get vaccinated, when we all do our part. That's It's simple and easy. That's why the government decided to make it free. You don't have to even pay for it. So I, I don't, I just don't understand that. But I really hope that people will go get their shots or, you know, when J&J gets back on, go get your shot. Um, so we can really get back out here. I'm I'm excited, Devin. I don't have to wear a mask anymore, but um, I'm hopeful everybody else will, you know, go get their shots so they can also follow the CDC's guidelines. Well, that's definitely what they are are hoping for. And um, just to give you an idea of where we are with vaccinations, about 59% of folks have received at least one vaccine dose, but we still need more people to get vaccinated. And like Adrian was saying, we're trying to get back to normal. And so there are some states are taking some pretty, you know, pretty decisive steps to try to incentivize people um, to get the COVID-19 vaccinations. I think the best one is going on in Ohio, hands down. And this and this was uh, announced on Wednesday by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, who announced that the state will give one million dollars to five vaccinated Ohio residents through a lottery program starting on May 26th. Yes, you heard that right. You could get a million dollars for receiving the COVID vaccine in Ohio. And so uh, the governor was saying, I know that some may say you're crazy, uh, but this million dollar drawing idea of yours is a waste of money, some people said. But truly, the real waste at this point is the pandemic, when the vaccine is readily available to anyone who wants it. 
um, is a life lost to COVID-19. And that was Governor Mike DeWine. So um, he confirmed a lot of we will be paid for with federal coronavirus relief funds, which has garnered some criticism and applause. And so um, Ohio strategy is pretty much the boldest <laughs> uh, that we've seen. But um, right now you see other states like New York was giving away uh, tickets, free tickets to the Mets. Uh, Connecticut has started enticing residents for free beer. And so, you know, Adrian, I kind of wish I had moved to Ohio, um, you know, to get my COVID vaccine because I could be, you know, a million dollars richer possibly just by taking a vaccine. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, I think if more states said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll waive your bills for a month or we'll you know, give you a month of uh, rent or something like that. I guarantee if there were more incentives like this, you'd see people lining up to go get their uh, vaccine. You would see a lot happening uh, to, to, to make this possible. And I mean, I, hats off to the governor. I, I hope that more and more states start doing this, whether it be tickets, free beer, uh, rental relief, something, anything that's going to incentivize and motivate people to go get their vaccines. I'm like I'm like the governor. I mean, what's it worth, you know, to give somebody something when it's saving lives? I mean, what's it worth to, you know, for us to be able to get our, you know, our, our economy back to normal, for us to be able to, you know, get beyond this uh, coronavirus pandemic? I mean, if, if $5 million is what each state needs to do, you know, five random residents get a million dollars each, that's what it's going to take to get us 100% vaccinated. I think we've got plenty of money within our government to be able to do that. And if the government doesn't have it, we can call Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Bill Gates. I think we can get somebody to fund it. Exactly. I think you would find a lot of people willing to put money behind um, a cause like that. So uh, if you're listening and you are in Ohio and you have not gotten your COVID-19 vaccination, I don't know what you're waiting on. Um, you might want to go get it, if not today, tomorrow, uh, and get your name in there for this lottery program. So um, very interesting to see how they're trying to get people um, to take the COVID-19 vaccine. So um, we're going to get ready to take another break here. And But before we go, we do always like to give you a little uh, tidbit here before we actually go into break. So um, this story here is, is nationwide, but it really comes from the company McDonald's which announced on Thursday that they will be raising pay for workers in its 650 company-owned stores to an average of $15 by 2024. So what this means is that entry-level employees in, in McDonald's will make about $11 an hour. The company is urging its 14,000 franchise restaurants to make the same changes. And it's not just McDonald's who's trying to increase pay to attract workers. You also... Um, heard that Amazon says that it's going to start paying its new hires $17 an hour as it seeks to add about 75,000 new workers. Um, it's also offering a $100 bonus for new hires who have been vaccinated. So again, if you didn't get your COVID vaccine, you are missing out. And lastly here, um, just another company that's announcing a pay raise was um, And Sheets, which is a mid-Atlantic convenience store chain. It said on Monday that it's giving its 18,000 employees a $2 raise in an additional hour for the summer. So all kind of incentives out there to trying to get people back to work right now um, for the at least for at the end of March, there were about 18.2 million available jobs. And so 
um, there. If you want to work, there's work available. So uh, with that, we're going to take our next break and we will be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So we're getting into our third segment here. So um, we just kind of wanted to touch on I I know we've talked about it in the past. These voter suppression bills that you're seeing either be introduced in this, into state legislatures or in some cases be passed um, in state legislatures. And so we kind of wanted to touch on some other um, news regarding these voter suppression bills that you're seeing. So um, right now, just to give you a broad view of it, um, lawmakers in all but three states have introduced bills aimed at restricting ballot access. And this is according to the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University. And a side note, we just had them on our show for our campaign finance reform um, episode. So if you haven't listened to that, highly recommend you go back and listen. It was very, very interesting. Um, But um, their latest report finds that there are 361 bills restricting voting that have been introduced in 47 states. And this is as of March 24th. So there could be more. Um, But right now, um, this marks a 43% increase in the number of bills introduced um, since Brennan last released a count a little over a month ago. And so um, the biggest news this past week was that Florida announced that they had passed a bill making it even more challenging for people to vote. Um, This restricts giving voters inline water, among other new standards. Um, Voting activists say the bill is geared towards voter suppression. Uh, The bill restricts where ballot drop boxes are located. It limits who can collect and drop off ballots. It requires all voters to show election officials an ID before casting their votes. And then under this bill, voters are required to request an absentee ballot for every election. And, And the reason why that is notable is because in the past, voters who relocated within the state could call or email the county election supervisor, but now they must complete an online or paper form. And then lastly, um, partisan poll watchers are encouraged. And so that is for Florida. Now we're going to shift to Texas. Now, Texas, um, it has its own voter suppression bill. It has not passed, but they are debating it. Um, it, This makes numerous changes um, to the voting process, including banning county leaders from proactively sending out mail-in voter applications to registered voters, as was done in Harris County, uh, which is where Houston is. And then this was in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's why they did that. um, The Texas bill requires people who assist disabled voters to identify why the person needs help and gives more latitude to poll watchers. And then we have some music on for you. Um, and then we're going to shift. So that's the Texas bill that has not passed, but they're baiting it. And then we go to Ohio, where there was just a bill introduced this week that would ensure that drop boxes are located only at election offices. Uh, this, and then the bill also gives voters only 10 days to drop off ballots compared to 30 days in the 2020 general election. 
And then it also cut the number of days people can request absentee ballots before an election from three days before to 10. So, or uh, from three days before to 10. And it requires two forms of identification to request absentee ballots online. It would also eliminate early voting on the Monday before an election. And so, but again, these some of these bills are a little bit mixed. Now, the Ohio bill that just got introduced, while it does restrict the ballot access, it also includes a provision that would give um, voter access for Ohioans is the online. It would create an online absentee ballot request system and it would in, in create an automated voter registration program via the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. So that's good. So, Agent, that is a great provision. <laughs> you know, I don't know why they need all the extra stuff. Um, with cutting down the number of days to drop off ballots and things like that, we need every state to be doing automated voter registration programs via their state's Bureau of Motor Vehicles. I don't know why that's not nationwide, but um, but, but what you do see, Adrian, is a concerted effort across the board to figure out ways to make sure that what happened in the 2020 election and, you know, the the increased turnout that we saw because of mail-in balloting we see a concerted effort to make sure that they blunt that effort come 2022 or 2024. Um, it's very obvious that, that the mail-in ballot, you know, the, the success of mail-in voting um, worries a lot of people, particularly Republicans who see it as something, um, you know, that they can't compete with, I guess. <laughs> exactly, Devin. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so interesting. I mean, whenever you think about mail-in ballots, I mean, it almost talks about going to the postal service and the fact that you still got Lewis DeJoy as Postmaster General, even though, you know, even though Biden is taking over, you still got a Trump, you know, uh, person leading the Postal Service, making it harder for us to do a lot of this stuff. And I, I can only imagine that, um, you know, hopefully he'll be out by the time we have another election, because when you've got that coupled with all these states that are doing these laws that say, you know, we're going to make it a little bit harder for you to vote. Um, it, it, it just, it's just not democratic. It's not American. It's not patriotic. Um, it's not anything that you know, America is supposed to be. And I, I, you know, I love in the Ohio bill, those you know, little thing about, you know, the uh, online absentee ballot request system and the voter register, automatic uh, voter registration system. And those are great. But all these other things about, you know, making the uh, drop boxes only at election offices, shortening the number of days, reducing. I mean, it's it, you're just making it more less, uh, fewer people are going to be able to vote. And in a democracy, you want everybody to be able to vote. You want voting to be the easiest thing possible because that's what a democracy is. Uh, government of the people, by the people, for the people. I mean, it's our, our voices really matter. Uh, and when you've got states who are coming in to try to say, hey, uh, based off of how y'all acted in 2020, we need to change some things. That's that's basically what you. That's you know, it's just bad timing. You know that you've got so many states that are trying to do all these voting laws right now. After we had uh, you know a huge Democratic surge across the country, uh, had huge voter turnout for you know even in the Republican Party. I mean, there was huge voter turnouts. I mean, Donald Trump got the the, the number two most votes of any president in history. So I mean. 
clearly there were people that were voting in, in, in droves and in waves last year. So what on earth would we be doing right now trying to limit that? I mean, we need to be doing more to expand that, more to bring people uh, to the table, and just more to show people why voting is, is important, you know, to kind of connect the dots to say that it goes beyond election, it goes into the policy as well. So, um, Devin, I hope that people wake up. Uh, I'm glad to see the Brennan Center for Justice. They're on, they've been on a bunch of stuff. I, I've been seeing them more in the, the media lately, and it seems like, I guess, since we interviewed them, maybe they're just popping up more in, uh, on our news feed and stuff. I'm glad to see they're championing this kind of stuff. But to uh, look into our second topic here, listeners, um, the GOP, Devin, I, you know, the Republican Party right now is going through a lot of mess. Um, they're almost might as well be called like the party of, you know, falsehoods and lies because, I mean, they're, they're, they, they've just ousted, you know, Liz Cheney on Wednesday for telling the truth. She doesn't want to say that Donald Trump lost it, you know, uh, rather that Donald Trump lost because of fraud. She doesn't want to say that. And that's fine because it's not true. But within a closed door meeting, the Republicans within 20 minutes voted her out of her leadership position. She even commented on Friday, Devin, that several Republicans during uh, the vote for impeachment, they feared their, you know, feared for their lives, feared for their safety while voting for Trump. Just kind of shows you the hold that he continues to have on this party. I'm so thankful that you've got, you know, a group of over 100 Republicans who are pretty much saying they denounce former President Trump. And if they don't, rather, if the Republican Party doesn't fix its act, they're going to launch a, a different thing. They're going to go about themselves and they're going to have their own party. Um, and that's a really, really interesting thing. I mean, you've got a lot of high-profile Republicans like former President George W. Bush, uh, Secretary, former Secretary of State Colin Powell. Uh, you got a lot of people, even you know, sitting uh, Senator Mitt Romney, who've come out against Donald Trump. And I think they they could, you know, maybe add some extra steam to this, you know, potential new GOP, whatever it's going to look like. But you had one Republican quote. This is us saying that a group of more than 100 prominent Republicans think that the situation has gotten so dire that the Republican Party, that it is now time to seriously consider whether an alternative might be the only option. So, Devin, I don't know how you feel, but I, I, I almost think that with the way the Republican Party is headed and the way they're going, um, an alternative is needed because I don't. I don't think you can uh, steer the party correct at this point because, I mean, you had so many people on January 6th say Donald Trump was a nightmare for the country and then turn around, you know, say, well, we can't move forward without him. He's our, our sugar daddy, basically, and we can't live without him. I don't I don't know what's going on. Uh, what, what's happening is that you're finding out that what Donald said, <laughs> what Donald Trump said about the Republican Party you know, not having a backbone and being weak when he ran in 2016 was absolutely correct. You know, they don't have um, a, a guiding star right now. It's Donald Trump, you know, this, but and, it, and to me, this is what happens when your party is centered around stopping the other party from doing anything in Congress, like they did to president Obama. When that's your party platform, there is nothing for you to really run on to get people's attention. Um, so you're left to culture wars, which is what Donald Trump was fighting. You know, the Republicans held the, the Congress. They had the House, the Senate and the White House. And the only thing they could get done <laughs> was tax cuts. And then they hitched their cart to Donald Trump. 
and every lie that flew out of his mouth, you know, they kind of just went along with because they were too scared to speak out against him. And so they've just essentially just embraced being the party of culture wars and falsehoods and lies and conspiracy theories. And they're okay with that as long as it gets them elected. They don't care about the, the impact it has on the country as a whole, as on the democracy, whatever they, you know, they, they are worried about trying to get back in power. And if the road goes through Donald Trump for them to get back to the white house, um, they're willing to, you know, capitulate and go along with it. And it's pretty sad and embarrassing that Liz Cheney gets voted out for simply just telling the truth. Like she's not lying. Nobody can just say Liz Cheney is standing up there lying. She's just saying the truth that Donald Trump lost. And that's all that that's all we ask. Like the bar is very low, you know, here. Like we're not asking them to, you know agree with joe biden on everything they're just saying it and just agree that the man won fair and square it's over move on um so i don't you know it's just it's sad it's a really sad state of our politics where they're so self-absorbed that they have just completely disregarded what they're doing to the country and then you know i I do think it's we do need a third political party I think we've gotten to the point now where we have two parties who are only really concerned about themselves and how much power they can gain um, and and how how much they can stop the other party from doing anything. And so nothing is getting done. So I think it is time that we create, you know, really put some some thought and money and resources behind a, a really competitive third party. And I think it's it's past time. I think people, voters in particular, just, you know, fed up with both parties honestly <laughs> i think being you would say we're more liberal and progressive and, and democratic but i think we can also say that nancy pelosi and chuck schumer could give a crap about me or you or anybody else who votes for them so i think it is time for a third party for sure yeah Devin, i could um i could understand that um we definitely need something to kind of normalize us again and get us you know back to the middle and away from you know the, the the far lefts and the far rights, and just start thinking about the people. But hey, listeners, we're going to take another break. But as always, let's do a quick little before the break. Uh, this one's about Mother's Day because we know Mother's Day happened and everybody's you know you know celebrated it. But believe it or not, there are a lot of people who do not celebrate Mother's Day, um, and that's basically because you know Mother's Day is based off of. Uh, you know, a worship of mythological gods and paganism. That's if you look at the origins of Mother's Day, you can kind of trace it back there. And a lot of people notice the fact that, you know, when I celebrate mom one day out of the year, I love mom all throughout the year. So make her feel special all throughout the year. Some even say, why use uh, this uh, holiday to kind of fill the pocketbooks of corporate, you know, America? Because obviously there's a lot of people that, you know, sell Mother's Day hats, Mother's Day cards, going to Mother's Day dinner. So uh, really, really interesting stuff, Devin, of why you may shouldn't celebrate Mother's Day. But whatever the case may be, if your mom's still alive, make sure you tell her you love her and, you know, treat her right every day throughout the year. So with that, uh, listeners, we're going to take another break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into our quick hits to give you some interesting things that you may not have heard before. So stick with us and get ready for some laughs. We'll be right back. have been listening to the black agenda podcast hosted by adrian guest and devin dito 
If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So we're getting into our quick hits. And like Adrian says, get ready for some laughs. And this is our last batch of quick hits. So it's a little bittersweet here. We always love this segment. It's probably our favorite segment to do um, because you just, you know, the stories, you can never really predict how they're going to go. So um, so here we go. So our very first quick hit here comes out of Florida, uh, where a 28 year old Florida woman Florida woman (laughs) who allegedly went to a Miami high school on Monday dressed as a student to promote her Instagram account. She was actually later arrested. And so her name is Audrey Nicole Francisquini, and she is accused of handing out flyers to students promoting her social media account while wearing a backpack (laughs) and carrying a skateboard and recording her interactions on her phone um, when she was stopped by school security. And so Francis Queenie allegedly told the officer she was a student looking for the registration office. And then she was stopped a second time when she continued to hand out flyers. The school was advised of a potential threat on campus when she allegedly refused to leave but Francis Queenie allegedly left through a side door before she could be stopped. And so police identified her through her Instagram and she was later arrested at her home in North Miami Beach. So um, that's one way, I guess, of advertising <laughs> your account there, Adrian, <laughs> dressing up as a high schooler um, and handing out flyers. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. She tried to get away, but it's like you gave the evidence to the students because you were promoting your Instagram. So she <laughs> yeah. didn't really think that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dumb could you be? Everybody's going to be able to trace you. But hey, I mean, with the way the world is, everybody wants to be an influencer, Devin. So she's just trying to get her way there. Now, another little quick hit uh, for you listeners, and this one is out of Morocco. It's a little bit of international international news for you. But this is a lady named uh, Sissy uh, gave uh, birth by C-section on May 4th to nine children, Devin. Um, Really, really impressive stuff here. Uh, The doctors actually, uh, she's from, uh, it looks like a a Malayan government, uh, decided to send her to Morocco because they didn't have the special care and the equipment for multi-fetal pregnancy. But whenever she was actually getting ready to have her children, she was originally expecting seven babies. But the doctors, as they were you know, doing the birth, they found two more. Um, so they actually kind of discovered some, some babies in there. Uh, out of the babies, well, the, I guess the makeup, you got five girls, four boys. Um, they were born prematurely at 30 weeks, uh, bearing uh, weights there. They're right now in incubators, making sure that they're under good monitoring and care. The mom did suffer heavy bleeding and was put in the ICU, but she is in stable condition. Moreover, the Guinness uh, Book of World Records is actually looking into this birth to see if it's going to be verified as the most children delivered in a single birth who actually survived. So, um, really, really interesting stuff, Devin. Um, can't imagine, you know, being 25 years old and giving birth to nine babies at the same time. That is pretty amazing. <laughs> and the and fact dad that she, was not there. Uh, 
I think dad was on. He dad was with the with some with one of the other children. So I think they've got ten children total. Oh but dad goodness. was off somewhere else. If I were dad, I wouldn't have been there either. No, <laughs> that's yeah. I would. Oh my goodness, I don't know what I would do. Nine kids at one time. Um, that's pretty. That's incredible. Um, but shout out, kudos to her for being able to get them all out. Um, and, and shout out to the medical team there that they were able to get her out of the intensive care unit and get her in stable condition. Um, that was my first thought was if she could deliver them all without losing, you know, her life in the process. So thank goodness it worked out, but wow. Um, so you may see that in the Guinness book of world records there, um, nine children at one time. Um, so our next story here comes out of the UK. So if you're think we're all getting ready to go back into the office. So this might be something to think about when you start to have office lunches. So apparently there's a car dealership in the UK who is having to pay the price for alleged workplace discrimination. So the name of this um, dealership is Hartwell Ford, which is a franchise dealership network that operates throughout England. And it reportedly lost a discrimination case to a former employee who says they were excluded excluded from monthly team lunches. And this is from Newsweek. And so the receptionist, uh, her name is Margortsara Luika, sued the dealership over the repeated snub, which occurred after she filed a sexual discrimination complaint against her boss um, at Hartwell Ford's Hemel Hempstead branch in March of 2018, where she temporarily worked for two years. And so uh, when Luika transferred to the current dealership's Waterford branch following her complaint, she told the judge that she was excluded from team lunches that were held on the last Friday of each month. Colleagues who worked in the same office would provide lunch orders for pizza and other takeout foods to management while she was routinely skipped. And so she moved to the current dealership within weeks of the conclusion of her grievance and in the absence of any other explanation for the situation um, we find that the exclusion was victimization, which continued until around the same time of her dismissal. So safe to say, uh, Miss Luika was awarded around $32,000 for lost wages and emotional distress. So don't discriminate against anyone, period. And of course, especially in the wake of them filing a sexual harassment claim, um, you cannot exclude them from monthly team lunches and, and such. So costly mistake there. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny because I, I I think about you know working with some people and not wanting to go to lunch to them and not wanting to invite them to stuff and I guess you got to be careful you can get hit with a lawsuit for that. One of the other neat things that we got going on, um, listeners, this is out of Chicago, and and I feel like the, I've I've heard of cities doing this before, but. Um, Chicago is actually, uh, over a number of years, they've been releasing uh, cats, feral cats, to help out with their rat problem. And I can kind of see, Devin, how this would be handy since I've moved to L.A. because I see tons of rats, uh, you know, because we've got a lot of homeless people here. But they release, you know, more than a thousand um, cats just to kind of help with the process there. Uh, The cats are uh, actually neutered, but they help to tackle the rodent problem. Um, Chicago actually was ranking about number six with their uh, rodent problem. This is from uh, the company called Orkin. And I know everybody knows the Orkin man, but they did a evaluation for Chicago and placed him as number six. 
Um, Lara Ellis, or excuse me, Sarah Ellis of the Treehouse said that the cats generally do not eat a lot of the rats, so not having that happening. But usually what she's saying is that their pheromones will deter the rodents. So not having to worry about a lot of, you know, dead rats, but just having them deterred. It says cats are placed two or three at a time in a residential commercial settings, and they help to provide an environmentally friendly rodent control. Uh, you can actually, well, if you live in Chicago, you can actually apply for a cat online. So um, I guess, Devin, if you see that there are a lot of um, rats in your area, all you need to do is go online and um, they'll send you a couple of cats. <laughs> you know, I would have never guessed that Chicago was um, number one for rats. I would have always thought New York. I would have never thought Chicago. But that's, you know, that's very interesting that they have that program going there. Um, so our next story here is for our sports fans. Um, I know I kind of kept up with it a little bit, but um, the big news from the NFL is that the schedule for the 2021 football season has been announced. And so um, there are some pretty big matchups that we all probably should keep our eyes on. And I give you some just some some highlights of the games that you can really look forward to. So first off, of course, we're, you know, you're wondering where, you know, what's going to happen with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They're going to be starting the season week one. They're going to open the season hosting the Dallas Cowboys in Tampa. So Cowboys at Tampa Bay. Um, that's going to be the very first game of the season. That's going to open it up. Usually they start on a Thursday on NBC. You would get to see Dak Prescott coming back from injury versus the Super Bowl champion Tom, you know, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then some other big matchups. You have week two. Um, you get to see Patrick Mahomes and and uh, Lamar Jackson go at it in week two. And then also the big one, I think this is probably one of the biggest games of the season. Tom Brady takes the Tampa Bay Buccaneers up to New England to face off against his old coach, Bill Belichick. So that's week four. That is week four, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New England Patriots. I think they already said tickets are going for 1300 a pop up there. So if you plan on going to the game, it's going to be a very expensive ticket. And rightly so, because you see uh, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady facing off against each other for the first time ever. And then later in the season, um, you'll get to see a rematch of the Buffalo Bills and Chiefs, uh, the game from last year, the AFC Championship game. Um, you get to see a rematch of that in week five. And then another big one. Uh, week eight, you get to see the two rookie, possibly two rookie quarterbacks, um, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, 49ers at Bears. Week eight, you get to see the two, possibly see the two rookies with face off. And then week nine, Green Bay Packers at the Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to be a classic game. And then, of course, if you didn't know, the NFL does have one extra game this year. So there are 17 games instead of 16. So week 18 there, there are going to be some big games here. Um, week 18, Seahawks at the Cardinals. And so, again, NFL schedule is out, but the notable ones, Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to start, and then Bill Belichick and Tom Brady face off in week four in New England. So that's a little sports update there for our news, our sports fans. Yeah, David, that's going to be some interesting matchups. So I know everyone will be ready and eager to actually go and visit. And, man, Thirteen hundred bucks a ticket. That's. Uh, I wish I had a couple of tickets to sell right now. That'd be pretty nice. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess and our last uh, quick hit uh, listener, I think this is coming out of uh, Georgia here. Uh, yeah, this is out of Georgia. So there's a lady. Her name is Lisa. She actually found at least a hundred thousand bees uh, in her home. I guess I don't. I think there was in her ceiling or something like that. But within the walls of her home, she had a swarm of a hundred thousand bees. She said at times she's had as many as a hundred twenty thousand bees. Um, she said that she's had to call beekeepers and bee removals four times now to come out and get those bees removed. She said this time a lot of bees kept going in our house. Uh, she said at any given day there would be about 20 to 25 bees at the base of our sliding glass door. So uh, Georgia Bee Removal found the huge hive and they came uh, uh, to her ceiling and they actually removed it and showed some pictures on Facebook. But Devin, I mean, I can't imagine having uh, a nest of, you know, 100,000 bees in my ceiling. That's uh, that's a huge hive right there. And with that, uh, listeners, that's going to be our last quick hit. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, take us into our ending here. Remembering that this is going to be the last podcast episode this upcoming Tuesday. Where This is it. Last one. We're going to be talking about criminal <laughs> justice reform. Uh, we figured that, you know, we might as well go ahead and hit this uh, hit this subject before we get out of here. Make sure we get our little spin on it while it's real hot and popping. So Tuesday, May 18th, join us. We're going to have another expert on the show to talk to us about criminal justice reform. Also, don't forget weekly roundups. This is the last one for season two. But Devin and I are already looking ahead to season three. We can't wait till that happens. Remember, we're going to be coming back on Juneteenth. We're going to bring you a special weekly roundup for Juneteenth. Uh, be on the lookout for more details as we take our vacation break. We'll be putting out some more stuff on that. But remember, season three, Juneteenth, 2021. Uh, Devin, as you always say, what we do is not free. From Podbean to Alitu, it costs money. So let our listeners know what they need to be doing to give us some do- uh, give us some dollars. Definitely. So again, um, we appreciate you listening to us and supporting us in that way. But we always like to let you know that you can help us out and support us uh, monetarily. And so, and and what you'd be doing is helping us, you know, fund various moving pieces to make the podcast and live show happen. Um, and not only does it show your appreciation for what we do, but it gives us the potential to go even further than we originally imagined. And so you can go to blackagendapod.com and you can click the donate button and it'll take you right there. It'll let you plug in a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars if you're really feeling generous. Um, whatever you decide to give us, we would absolutely appreciate and we would definitely use it to try to spread this message here and do some real good in our communities. And so again, you can go to blackagendapod.com and look for the donate tab. There's a little button at the top right. Hit the donate button and then you can plug in whatever you want to give us. And we would absolutely love it and appreciate it. Again, we're trying to do some great things here. We're going into a season break, but you can still donate to us. And that'll help us really get season three, um, you know, off and running in a, in a really good way. And so uh, before we move on to the end, we also want to highlight our charity of the month, which has been Campaign Zero. So Campaign Zero encourages policymakers to focus on solutions with the strongest evidence of effectiveness 
at reducing police violence. And so we live in a world where the police don't kill people by limiting police interventions, improving community interactions and ensuring accountability. And so, again, Campaign Zero, um, a great charity there. So you can check them out uh, if you haven't already. And so, again, um, before we go, we also do it. We, we're trying to add some new things here to our shows. And so for next season, we may look at adding a person of the week, highlighting someone in the, in the community. And we're going to be asking our listeners like you to hopefully submit to us through our social media accounts and email, you know, someone in your community who may be doing some really great work and really, you know, should be highlighted for the great things that they're doing. You can send that to us either through our social media accounts or our email, which is info at blackagendapod.com. And then also we are creating a community calendar, which is, again, you can submit events that are going on in your community and we'll help to promote them either on our social media accounts or you can send them to us um, and we'll put them on our website, which is blackagendapod.com. And so, again, if you want to submit something for person of the week, or just for the, an event for the community calendar, hit us up at info at blackagendapod.com. So before we go, Adrian's going to let you know where you can find us on social media. Yes, listeners, we're on all the major platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, look us up at Black Agenda Pod. Uh, go there, like, follow, share everything you see. Spread the word to family, friends, co-workers, acquaintances, whoever you got in your uh, your um, your um, Rolodex. We need you to be hitting them up about the Black Agenda Podcast. On YouTube, just search Black Agenda Podcast and you'll be able to find our channel there. Love to share all of our content with you. Um, as always, thank you for listening. I mean, it's it's been fun, you know, throughout this season, bringing you the news, engaging with you, trying to figure out different ways to be creative, uh, to be thoughtful, but also to be educational so that we can make sure that we're advancing a mission and advancing the message in our community. So really, really cool to do this with you. Can't wait to end our season uh, on Tuesday with our campaign, uh, excuse me, with our criminal justice reform episode. But until then, listeners, we'll catch you next time.